Welcome back to the Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Rosenchuk, and you can follow me on Twitter at DFBeanCounter. So there's a, the trade happened this week. Uh, Sam Darnold went to the Carolina Panthers, and now I'm seeing all over Twitter that you got to go buy Sam Darnold, and it doesn't make sense, so let's dive in. Sam Darnold has been objectively one of the worst quarterbacks in football since entering the NFL, so let's talk about his journey. Let's talk about where he started and where it's going. So to begin with, he was a third overall pick to uh, the New York Jets back in 2018. He was actually my third quarterback ranked in that class. He, he Well, at the time, I didn't have the same process that I have now, but I had Sam Darnold as a maybe grade, which would equate to a long shot. I had Josh Allen as a bust. I had Josh Rosen as a bust. I didn't appreciate how much draft capital actually matters at the position. I thought that just because these guys had bad profiles, they would be bad. Fortunately, now I have looked into a little more and I found out that even the worst quarterbacks draft in the top, you know, top half the first round, they still hit at a pretty good rate, even the worst one. So draft capital bumps all three of those guys into the coin flip tier. And then we have Baker Mayfield as a bulletproof prospect and Lamar Jackson as a bulletproof prospect. So at the time, I thought Sam Darnold had like an Andy Dalton-like ceiling. Like I was like, yeah, he could he could be all right. He could be like a, you know, long range starter. If he gets his AJ Green, he could have a couple, you know, fantasy seasons that actually matter. So far through three years, he has produced exactly zero top 24 fantasy finishes. That's the same number as Josh Rosen. That ain't, that ain't good. At least Baker Mayfield has three. Like to hit a top 24 season, basically all you need to do is be the starter for the year because there's enough players that get hurt or replaced that it's really not that hard to hit top 24. Sam Darnold hasn't been able to do that with the Jets. So when I'm when I'm like going through the prospect profile on these players, one of the things I, I use is called Cubase and they've actually changed it. So I can't use it anymore, but I used to use it and his Cubase was 4 of 12, which placed some 35 out of 51 quarterbacks in the first round. That's below the threshold that I'm looking for. Not a great prospect. His age-adjusted PFF grades at age 19 was 86.7, but then at age 20, he took a dramatic step down to 82.1. That put him 15 out of 30 first rounders. That's not good. He was he was just an ordinary first round pick, which just isn't good enough. That's, you know, Andy Dalton level territory. So then he gets to the Jets and we get to see what he can do in the NFL. This is where we use our sophomore comps. Again, I am not complete. I'm not finished doing my sophomore comps on quarterbacks. I'm still working around it, but this is what it looks like. So offensive grade and QB rating from PFF puts him into a bucket and and his coin flip grade from my prospect uh, grading puts him into a bucket with Josh Allen and Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill is an interesting case because we're going to talk about him shortly. Dwayne Haskins, Mitch Trubisky, and Sam Bradford, the other three guys in his in his cohort, and those three guys obviously didn't hit top 12, which is interesting. I thought Mitch Trubisky was, but he must have just missed it. Then we get to 2020. We're going to skip over the middle years because it doesn't matter. We get to 2020, and 2020 was an unmitigated disaster for Sam Darnold. He missed four games. He only played 12 games, yet he was fourth in the NFL in interceptable passes. That isn't good. And in those 12 games that he did play, they only passed 30.3 attempts per game. That's not very many attempts per game. So for him to be the fourth highest interceptable pass quarterback in the NFL in raw volume, despite low volume and missing games is atrocious. This is evidence of a quarterback making terrible decisions. This isn't an Adam Gase effect. This is Sam Darnold throwing into coverage is basically what it comes down to. One of the funny things, he only had nine passing touchdowns last year. and Nobody talks about that. Like nine. That's crazy. Everybody's all over Cam Newton for only throwing eight. Cam Newton, I think, played three more games, but he only threw nine. Sam Darnold only threw nine. That's just wild to me. 
And then where it gets really interesting, these, these, in my opinion, are not Adam Gase stats. These are Sam Darnold stats. So we're looking at air yards per attempt. He was 7.2. That's number 27 in the NFL. That is way, way behind Tua Tonga Veloa, who you guys all seem to hate because of his air yards per attempt. And despite having one of the lowest air yards per attempt in the world, his accuracy rating from playerprofiler.com was 7.0, number 30 in the NFL. <laughs> He was inaccurate on short passes. He was league worst inaccurate on league worst depth of target. That's wild. His catchable pass rate was 69%. That's number 43 in the NFL. That means that there were 11 backup quarterbacks that were throwing more catchable passes, or they're throwing catchable passes at a higher rate than Sam Darnold. These are not Adam Gase stats. I know there's a narrative that Adam Gase ruins everything, but these are not Adam Gase stats. And we're going to talk about that Adam Gase narrative in just a minute. So his true completion percentage, 67%, number 35 in the NFL. His true passer rating, 58.3, number 37 in the NFL. These are not good numbers. These are terrible numbers. These are league worst quarterback numbers. His EPA plus CPOE, that's his expected points added, plus his completion percentage over expected. When you add them together, Sam Darnold comes in with a .014, which is quarterback 31 in the NFL. Quarterback 32 was Carson Wentz. And they only rank 32. They only do the 32 starting quarterbacks. This is from rbsdm.com backslash stats. So go there. You can check it out. It's a fantastic. This is one of the most predictive metrics we have. Sam Darnold was the worst, but I know what you're thinking. You're thinking it's Adam Gase's fault. It's a supporting cast. He can't possibly be expected to be anything better than the worst quarterback in the league. His passing grade from PFF, 2018 was 62.9. That's pre-Gase, that's his rookie year. And then 2019 was 64.3. And now in his third year in 2020, it went down to 52.7. Sam Darnold was awful. So now let's talk about Ryan Tannehill because this is this is the, the narrative that everyone's jumping on when they're saying, oh, look at what Tannehill did when he left Gase. The weird thing is Ryan Tannehill actually improved from an efficiency perspective under Adam Gase. Adam Gase made Ryan Tannehill better. Adam Gase took Ryan Tannehill. Sorry, let's let's start this again. Pre-Adam Gase, Ryan Tannehill's yards per attempt, which is one of my favorite metrics for quarterbacks, it doesn't tell the whole story, so don't, don't go off on a tangent that yard per attempt is telling us everything. It isn't, but it paints a pretty nice story. Pre-Adam Gase, 6.9 yards per attempt. With Adam Gase, 7.5 yards per attempt. Tannehill wasn't good before Gase got there. Gase arrived, Tannehill got a lot better. In fact, Tannehill had a 6.2% TD rate his final season with Adam Gase. By far the best of his career at that point. In 2018, Gase's last with the Dolphins, Ryan Tannehill started 11 games. He had 7.2 yards per attempt. Brock Osweiler, who everyone loves to dump on as the worst quarterback of all time, Brock Osweiler started five games that year and he had a yards per attempt of 7.0. Sam Darnold, under Adam Gase in 2020, had a 6.1 yards per attempt. He was substantially worse than Brock Osweiler. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking it's not because of Gase now. We're thinking it's because of the supporting cast. It's the supporting cast that did them in. So let's take a look at the supporting cast in that 2018 team where Ryan Tannehill and Brock Osweiler were just lighting it up compared to Sam Darnold's 2020 season. In 2018, Ryan Tannehill, Brock Osweiler were throwing to superstars such as Danny Amendola, who led the team with 575 receiving yards. Kenny Stills, who was second on the team with 553 receiving yards. And then we have Kenyon Drake, which is kind of surprising to me. I didn't realize he had this much receiving work. 477 receiving yards. Albert Wilson with 391. Devontae Parker had 309 in 11 games. Jakeem Grant had 268. Mike Jacecki 
202. I think that was his rookie year, though. Frank Gore with 124. Leonte Carew, 94. And Nick O'Leary, 86. This was terrible. This was as bad or worse than the New York Jets while Sam Bradford or Sam Darnold was playing under Adam Gase. Sam Darnold is a bad quarterback. It's not an Adam Gase factor. It's not a supporting cast factor. We have... We have no reason to believe that Sam Darnold is actually good at football. And if you want to take another look at it, let's look at yards per attempt. Last year, in 2020, we have Sam Darnold with a 6.1 yards per attempt, as I've suggested, or as I've said. Remember, Darnold only played 12 games. I meant the backup had to start four of them. Joe Flacco started four games. His yards per attempt, 6.4. Joe Flacco was more efficient than Sam Darnold on the same team with the same coach and the same supporting cast. Why are you guys buying Sam Darnold? It doesn't make sense. Granted, we are going to a new situation with all the weapons in the world and Joe Brady. I get it. Like, DJ Moore is by far the best wide receiver that Sam Darnold will have ever had. He's still got Robbie Anderson. That's who he was with in New York for the first couple of years. And Joe Brady, I'm, I'm not really sure what to make of Joe Brady. We see these coaches coming to the NFL and everybody thinks they're, they're, they're going to, you know, change the game per se. Uh, there was that coach uh, Chip Kelly for the Eagles that, you know, Oh my goodness, look at Chip Kelly's offense. He's doing things nobody's ever done before. And like a year later, he, they already figured him out. So when we look at Joe Brady's offense, there's a tweet here from PFF underscore Moo. You see it on the YouTube channel if you're, uh, if you're watching. So in 2020, it was a pandemic year in which defenses struggled early on. In the second half of the season, the Panthers ranked number 30 in EPA per pass play, better than only the Bengals and Jaguars, both with backup quarterbacks. So is Joe Brady the genius some believe he is? And I got to tell you, Teddy Bridgewater was the quarterback. And I'm not saying Teddy Bridgewater is the best quarterback in the NFL. He, he is far from that. But he is also far from the worst quarterback in the NFL. He was substantially better than Sam Darnold in all those efficiency metrics that try to take situation and uh, and coaching and, and supporting cast out of the equation. Teddy Bridgewater is a league average to slightly below league average quarterback. Certainly not somebody you want to tie your hopes to for the long term, but... Somebody that isn't terrible. Somebody that should be providing better than number 30 in EPA per pass play. That's wild. Now we have Sam Darnold there. And this is just a really high-level projection just to illustrate how, 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 how much you don't want to buy Sam Darnold in Dynasty or Redraft for that matter. I mean, in Redraft, if you can get him like, you know, the last quarterback off the board or off waivers maybe, then you, you could roster him for a week or two and just, just to see because you never really know. But here's where we go. Last year, the Carolina Panthers passed 34.4 attempts per game. This is the only year we're using because it's the only one we have of them in the NFL. Over 16 games, that's 550 attempts. Sam Darnold's career is 6.6 yards per attempt. I'm not taking out his rookie year because it actually ups his average, which is hilarious. So 6.6 times 550 attempts is 3,630 passing yards. That ain't winning anyone in any fantasy leagues. Sam Darnold is going to have to take a monster step forward in his first year in Carolina, to get to 4,000 passing yards in that volume, he's going to have to jump all the way to 7.2 yards per attempt. That would be unreal. I would never project somebody to, to exceed their career average by 0.6 yards per attempt. Could it happen? Of course it could. We don't know what's going on in Sam Darnold's head. All that we can make our decisions based on is what we can see that he did on the field. That's what we can base it on. And based on what he did on the field in his three years in the NFL and his three years at, or I think he only started two years at USC, Sam Darnold isn't good at throwing footballs. Stop buying Sam Darnold. You got to punt this guy. Let him hit on somebody else's roster if he exceeds all expectation. To be perfectly honest, if he was a difference maker, we would have seen him make a difference. 
Okay, so now we're going to talk Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown is somebody who's going why like way under the radar nobody is talking about Antonio Brown it's probably because he's 32.8 years old like he's getting pretty old he's coming off you know he missed what the last year and a half he played the the second half of last season and he has an avalanche of off-field problems this isn't a buy for the faint of heart this is a buy for winners this is a buy for people that want to win their league it's not it's not without risk don't get me wrong Let's talk about what Antonio Brown did when he got back in the NFL last year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I gave him a pass. He came back in week nine and I said, you know what? He hasn't played in a year and a half. He's 32 years old. I'm going to give him a pass for week nine. So from week 10 to week 17, if you look at PPR points per game, uh, or if you look at PPR scoring from weeks 10 to 17, we have Antonio Brown with 15.9 points per game. And in overall points, he had 111.9 or 111.0 in that time frame. That was wide receiver 18. He was playing alongside Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. There are not two better wide receiver. There, there may not be a better wide receiver duo in the NFL. Wherever Antonio Brown lands this year, he's probably not going to be competing with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. And despite competing with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, Antonio Brown still had a 19.9% target share. He had a 20% target share playing with two elite wide receiver options. That's crazy. After sitting for a year and a half, he had a 2.07 yards per route run on that team, number 22 in the NFL. He had a 95.7% true catch rate. He catches everything, number five in the NFL. His PFF receiving grade was 82.6. That is better than his last full season in 2018 with the Pittsburgh Steelers when he had 1,300 receiving yards. He had a 79.0 PFF receiving grade. What I am trying to tell you is that Antonio Brown's cliff is coming, but it ain't here yet. The cliff has not arrived. There is little to no drop-off in Antonio Brown's play last year compared to the last time we saw him play a full-time role. I'm buying Antonio Brown. There are a number of teams, good teams, that need wide receiver twos. Kansas City could use another wide receiver. Green Bay desperately needs a wide receiver. New Orleans needs a wide receiver. Tennessee needs to replace Corey Davis. I'm not excited about Antonio Brown landing in Tennessee, but it is a place that needs a wide receiver. So let's, you know, fingers crossed, no, no Tennessee, please. <laughs> wide receiver ones there are teams that need wide receiver ones the Indianapolis Colts are a who's who of face planners they have Michael Pittman Jr. who is probably going to be a face planner by the time we get to May ADP they have Paris Campbell who is a face planner that hasn't been healthy at all he has done nothing in college and he has been unhealthy throughout his NFL career to date and they have a dusty T.Y. Hilton they need a premier weapon for their new quarterback in Carson Wentz the Baltimore Ravens they need a real wide receiver Hollywood Brown is a nice player. I will I will admit he is better than I ever expected him to be, but he is what he is, which is a tiny little field stretcher. He's basically a short Devonta Smith, except for Devonta Smith. Plays a little bit more versatile rotary, but you get the point. They're both tiny. They get bullied. I don't care how fast they are. <laughs> and here's the thing. Lamar Jackson isn't a bad passer. He is a low volume passer. I feel like if they didn't have, you know, pint-sized Hollywood Brown and face planner Miles Boykin, who's terrible and didn't do anything in college, and Willie Sneed as their wide receivers, they might be inclined to pass a little more. And if it's Antonio Brown, that might push them there. I doubt it, but it could happen. Miami Dolphins is the landing spot that I'm really, really interested in because what's going to happen in the NFL draft is probably four quarterbacks go off the board in the first four picks. And then we have the Cincinnati Bengals sitting at five. Two months ago, when the Jamar Chase to Cincinnati talk started, I thought it was ludicrous. I didn't think there was any chance that was going to happen. Now it's starting to seem pretty damn likely that's what's going to happen. So now the Miami Dolphins are at six, and they're going to be choosing between Panay Suel and Kyle Pitts, more likely. More than likely. If they pick 
Either of those players, they still need a wide receiver because their wide receivers are awful. Antonio Brown would slide right into the DeAndre Hopkins of the uh, Hopkins and Fuller Batman Robin duo. That would be Antonio Brown. That would be incredible for everyone involved. I would be really excited if Miami signs Antonio Brown and takes a Penesuel or a Kyle Pitts. I think that would do wonders for their offense. The Detroit Lions have nothing left. They had Kenny Galladay. They had Marvin Jones Jr. Now they have nothing and they have Jared Goff. They desperately need some playmakers. So let's hope that the Detroit Lions, you know, (laughs) sign some Antonio Brown. That could work out really well. He could have like a 30% target share there, which is not uncommon for Antonio Brown, who has been in the high 20 to low 30s in his career. That would be wild. Philadelphia Eagles. They have Jalen Hurts. I do not want Antonio Brown there any more than I want him in Baltimore, but he will be the wide receiver one there. Make no mistake. I am sorry, Jalen Rieger apologists, but Jalen Rieger ain't it. If he was it, he would have showed us last year and he didn't show us last year. I'm not asking him to be a thousand yard receiver. I'm just asking him to be good at football and he wasn't good at football. So that's where we're at. Houston Texans. Well, we just talked about how they no longer have DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller. We need a wide receiver to go with Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks is a one of the best beta wide receivers we've ever seen, but Antonio Brown is an alpha. Even though his size doesn't say it is, he has shown us over the course of his entire career that he eats first. That would be a great landing spot. Although they're looking at maybe Tyrod Taylor starting, so maybe that isn't such a great landing spot. We'll see. Jacksonville Jaguars is a team that I think should be signing Antonio Brown. I get that they already have DJ Chark and it's Shark Week every week and blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing. DJ Chark hasn't been very good at football since he's been in the NFL. He had one good year, which was propped up by a handful of really, really good games and a whole bunch of really, really mediocre games. He, Keelan Cole, Basically did what DJ Chark did last year. DJ Chark didn't eat Keelan Cole's lunch, which is probably an indication DJ Chark maybe ain't that good. Jacksonville Jaguars have LaVisca Chenault, right? Like he came into the NFL as a Swiss Army knife. That's what they said he would be in college. That's what they used him as in the first year. I get that it's a new coaching staff, but the new coaching staff used Percy Harvin the same way. They used Paris Campbell the same way. They used Curtis Samuel the same way. There's a good chance that LaVisca Chanel is going to be pigeonholed into that role, whether we like it or not for fantasy. Antonio Brown can come in and be the X receiver that does it all. He can be Trevor Lawrence's go-to guy. And we have DJ Chark stretching the field. And we have LaVisca Chanel eating in and around the line of scrimmage. We have a perfect complement of wide receivers to support the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. I think that would be a wise decision. So in, in my rankings on Patreon.com, uh, b- Patreon.com backslash BulletproofFF, I, I do like a blurb on every player. And the blurb on Antonio, or not every player, but most times I do a blurb on every player and Antonio Brown's blurb right now reads AB is a must buy AB is the buy of the offseason you need to buy AB stop not buying AB he is basically free with an elite ceiling and then I do projections like high level projections I'm not giving you like a specific amount of points he's going to score but I think that the expectation for Antonio Brown based on his career target share his performance last year and his projected new landing spots He's going to be a wide receiver one in 2021. And I think that if he lands in the right spot, he could be a top five wide receiver in 2021. And I think that if he lands in the worst spot, let's say he re-signs in Tampa Bay, I think his floor is wide receiver two, which is what it was last year. So in my opinion, Antonio Brown is wildly undervalued. I have him ranked at wide receiver 39. If I look at DLF ADP, DynastyFootball.com ADP, his ADP is wide receiver 73. I have him 34 spots over the wide receiver ADP, let alone all the other positions, I am way higher on Antonio Brown than anyone. So when you go to the Dynasty League Football Trade Analyzer, they, they spit out some players that you can, you know, maybe trade for. 
Straight up, here's the suggested players they have for Antonio Brown. Almond Raw, St. Brown. I'm not, I'm, I'd rather have Almond Raw, I think, at this point. Brian Edwards, yeah, get it, get it gone. I would easily trade my Brian Edwards to get Antonio Brown. Preston Williams, get out of here. Tylen Wallace, that one's pretty close. I, I probably would take Antonio Brown just for the, for the, the points. I want to win my league right now. So I'd probably just take the points. Philip Lindsay, I would sell in a heartbeat. Cole Komet, I don't understand Cole Komet. We'll talk about him on a future podcast because I don't get the Cole Komet stuff. You got to move him for Antonio Brown if you can. Kadarius Tony in a heartbeat, I would move for Antonio Brown. And Tyler Higby. Tyler Higby? Really? He still has value? What? So I guess what I'm trying to say is I would move Tyler Higby for Antonio Brown. And I would do it if if I am a contender, these are no-brainer trades, right? Like I am getting getting rid of players that are probably not going to produce very much and is certainly not going to produce league winning potential like Antonio Brown could. But if I'm a pretender, if I'm rebuilding and I can move a Tyler Higby, I have Tyler Higby on my rebuilding roster. Somebody has Antonio Brown. I would easily do that because if if Antonio Brown hits his, hits his stride this year, or even worst case scenario, he's a wide receiver too. I can trade Antonio Brown for probably a second round pick at the deadline this year. That is a hell of a lot more than I can get for Tyler Higby at the deadline this year. So give me Antonio Brown. The trade analyzer also gives you suggested picks and they're suggesting mid third round picks, 308, 307, 306, uh, like a 2022 third would do the trick. I would move any of those picks for Antonio Brown. Those are all easy trades for me to make. I repeat, Antonio Brown is the buy of the offseason. So when it came to the coolest names in all of football, we have the St. Browns. We have Equinemius St. Brown. We have Osiris St. Brown. We have Amon Ra St. Brown. These are elite first names. <laughs> they're like there, there is no better first names in all of football than these three names. So let's dive into Amon Ra, the sun god, and see how he turns out in the bulletproof. So to start with, the first thing we look at is size. And according to playerprofiler.com, they have Amon Ra at 5'11", 197 pounds. And there's a joke that uh, that I like. It's it goes like, what do you call the person with the lowest grades that graduates from med school? Doctor. Amon Ra is that when it comes to alpha status. He barely crosses the thresholds. The thresholds I use are 5'11", 195 pounds. Amon Ra is 5'11", 197 pounds. What is... What do you call the guy that barely crosses the thresholds? We still call him alpha. He is an alpha. His BMI is 27.5, which is actually pretty thick. Like he's, he's a pretty thick guy. He's an alpha. Athleticism. We we thought Amon Ra was a sun god for a short while. His unofficial, his unofficial pro day numbers made him look like exactly, exactly Odell Beckham Jr. It turns out that was not true. Those were unofficial. We now have the official pro day numbers and Amon Ra is a mere mortal. He is not the sun god. He's just a dude with a nice tan. He got a 7.13 in Raz score, which which is still good. Like it's not bad, but it's it's nothing to write home about. He's 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 an average NFLer, slightly above average maybe. When it comes to draft capital, grinding the mocks has him at an expected draft position of 85. That is in the third round of the NFL draft. Third round of the NFL draft matters for us because it is you know it gives him a reasonable chance to hit. If he if he falls to day three, it's over. Like, write him off just like we did Equinemius. If he falls to day three, it's completely over. But if he gets drafted on round three, that matters. If he gets drafted in round two, that really matters. That's where things get really exciting. So we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Draft age, like Amon Ra did exactly what we want, right? He went to school at 18. He dominated. He went to school, or they played at 19. He played at 20. Then he declared early. Now he's going to the NFL at, for an age 21. He's checking all the boxes. 
checking everything. He is an age 18 breakout. According to Player Profiler, it's 18.9 was his breakout age. Just into that age 18 breakout. But that's a 93rd percentile breakout age. That is elite. Like this is a guy who showed up on campus and immediately made himself a part of the offense. That's a good sign. From a production standpoint, Amon Ra is like right on the thresholds. Like right on the thresholds. Pretty much at 18, 19, and 20, which is kind of wild. It's pretty unsurpri- or it's pretty surprising to be honest. That's for market share receiving yards by age. So age adjusted market share receiving yards. And that's the same thing for yards per team attempt by age. He actually, I don't believe he hit my threshold in his age 20 season for this, but it was only a six game sample. So it's a tiny sample where, you know, a long touchdown here or there can really throw things off. So I'm not too worried about it. He hit it at 18, he hit it at 19, and he was like just under it at 20. And then from a production context standpoint, this is something I like to do. It doesn't change anyone's grade. It just, it makes me feel better about their prospects as an NFLer. So one of the most impressive aspects of Almond Ra in his age 18 season in 2018, his freshman year, he played alongside Michael Pittman Jr. Michael Pittman is exactly two years older than Almond Ra. And they went toe to toe. Michael Pittman Jr. had 758 yards. Almond Ra had 750. That's impressive. For a freshman at age 18 to come in and play up to the caliber of the incumbent that's already been there for two years, that went on to be drafted at like the, what, third pick of the second round or something like that of the NFL draft. Like Michael Pittman Jr. isn't a slouch. He's not a good NFLer, but th- that's beside the point. He was a good college player. And then in his sophomore season, Amon Ross sophomore season, we see Pittman kind of take over. This is Pittman's senior season. Which is like it should he should be dominating Amon Ra and he does beat him by about 200 receiving yards 1275 to 1042. Uh, Amon Ra still holds down the number two position though and hits all our thresholds that we're looking for. His junior year in 2020, so last season, this is where things get a little sketchy. Up until now, we are like all in on Amon Ra. He's doing everything that we ask him to do, but something weird happens. Drake London outproduced him in receiving yards. Again, it's only a six-game sample. Long touchdown or long reception can throw this off when we're only talking about six games, which is why we don't normally use only six games. But that's all we have to base our... It's all we have to analyze. So it's what we do. Drake London had 502 receiving yards. Amon Ra had 478. Drake London actually had more receiving yards. The difference, though, is Amon Ra actually had 41 receptions. Drake London only had 33. So Amon Ra, I think, was still the focal point of the offense. Drake London just caught some longer pa- or longer passes. His average reception was 15.2. Amon Ra's was only 11.7. So maybe that's what's going on. It doesn't really matter when it comes to uh, like his grade. It doesn't, in fact, it doesn't matter at all when it comes to his grade because all we're looking for is to hit the thresholds. But it does give us some confidence that Amon Ross St. Brown can play with NFLers. There's no questioning that. Drake London is going to be a top prospect next year. Drake London has a very impressive profile to this point in his career. Michael Pittman Jr., we already know, was drafted in the early second round of the NFL draft. He didn't have a great rookie season because he's not a great prospect, but that's a different point. He was a good college player. So the results, once we put this all together, Amon Ross St. Brown pre-draft qualifies for bulletproof alpha status that that matters bulletproof alpha status is great the problem is the expected draft position from the mocking from grinding the mocks right now puts on in round three and i don't have any bulletproof any bulletproof wide receivers in round three they get knocked down to the coin flip tier there's only ever been five of them and two of them are keenan allen and chris godwin so there is some precedence here for 
excellent players coming out of this group, but the other three are guys you don't even want to know who they are. So we don't have the confidence that we do drafting this type of player in round three or when they go in round three of the NFL draft. The confidence factor comes down a lot. In round two, now we're talking. So we'll see. He actually, the Sun God actually qualifies for bulletproof status, but he's probably not going to get drafted early enough. So we're looking at comparables. Uh, okay, well, actually, let's let's just go through the players that do have bulletproof grades that did get drafted in round three. We're talking Keenan Allen, Chris Godwin. Those are the good ones. Then we got Earl Bennett, Jalen Strong, and Derek Hagan. Ain't none of those guys you wanted to draft. So it's, it's a pretty hit-miss group. That's why he falls into the coin flip group. And then from a size slash profile comparable list, this is not looking at only round three bulletproof. This is just coin flip alpha or coin flip guys around his size. Because he barely hit the thresholds, he has a couple betas on his comp list like Golden Tate and Corey Coleman and Stedman Bailey. He also has some alphas like Chris Godwin and Nelson Aguilar and Torrey Smith and Justin Blackman for that matter. He has, his size isn't prohibitive of him being a good NFL player. That's for sure. So, I guess what I'm trying to say is it depends with Amon Ra. We don't know yet. He's going to be one of those guys that moves a lot on draft day. When he gets drafted, will have an enormous impact on where I rank him. Right now, I have him ranked probably, you know, a little higher than maybe I should because I'm hoping he gets the round two draft capital. He probably won't. He'll probably get round three and then I'll have to knock him back a little bit. He'll be right in that range with uh, like Seth Williams and guys like that. Maybe a little above Seth Williams, but that kind of range. So, wait and see. 